0: To another episode of Weekend at Deckerts. This week we cover Blade Runner 1982. You guys. Blade Runner.
1: Blade Runner.
0: Blade Runner.
1: Blade Runner.
0: Listen, we're singing ourselves into this episode. Blade Runner. Right. So this one coming at us 1982, fresh off the heels of what Empire Strikes Back. What? This is Ridley Scott. Yeah, no, I know, but, like, he had just done...
1: 1982. This, you know what, Blade Runner, there's so much to talk about with background of this movie because, first of all, it is based on Philip K. Dick's book, Do Androids Dream of Electric
0: Sheep?
2: Yes. Second of all, it's based on Harrison Ford's low-slung
0: crew cut. You know what? I don't care. Who you are? That is a cool title for a book. The, that's what you meant. Do androids dream of electric sheep, Joel? Yeah, yeah, not yeah, not, a- not the crew cut thing, dum dum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why I asked. You know, and if if you read the book, the title makes sense because they don't. It's in the future, in a time where uh, like robotics and stuff is really like advanced, and so people because animals are so rare you have to be uber rich to own to own a pet so people make like um android animals so owls and sheep and and that kind of stuff but they also make humans which are called replicants in the
0: book. and can we just and, okay and the future being 2019 you guys so the future passed yeah, yeah this
1: was this was written way back in the sixties, so the, in twenty nineteen would have been the future.
0: If I was in nineteen eighty two and I was like, "Man, twenty nineteen—that's so far away. We better have flying cars."
1: Well, well the book—the book was written in the sixties, so we're like even further back.
0: Yeah, no, I'm. But listen, I know you're talking about the book, but I'm talking about the movie. Weirdly enough, on a movie podcast, and um. Listen, if I was in 1982 and I was like, 2019, we better have flying cars. And I get there, and in reality, there's no flying cars? Not for me. 2019, not for me.
2: (laughs) World (laughs) pandemic, but no flying cars.
1: We have uh, segues, but no hoverboards. No hover cars. Anyway, so, Philip K. Dick. So I do have to delve into, like, A few little things about Philip K. Dick. Like, he was a huge LSE user, and that's why his books are so good. So I don't know if you know this. Um, There's a YouTube video. You can watch it on YouTube. And it is a press conference that Philip K. Dick holds. In this press conference, he holds a press conference saying, like, he literally is announcing that he has proof that we're living in a computer-generated world. And that a dark-haired stranger, all of his books have a dark-haired woman in it that kind of guide him. And it's because it's based on his sister. Anyways, that's where the idea for The Matrix came from, is Philip K. Dick's mental breakdown. And he held a press conference, and it was really, really sad because his brain was just gone.
0: Now, I'm still trying to get over being really disappointed in the human race for not having flying cars yet. I'm gonna move it's on. A running
1: so there is a there is a dark haired girl in this movie, and I'm glad they kept her in because every one of his books has a dark haired girl. Even the Matrix has a dark haired girl with the rabbit on her shoulder. Anyways, and that is that is Rachel, and she's played by Sean Young. Uh, she's one of the main characters, but of course we have first of all the one and only Harrison Ford playing Deckard. Right now, name this podcast after him. And uh, who's your favorite, Josh? You want to talk about Rutger Hauer or do you want
2: me to? You know what, man? Rutger Hauer is like, he's one of those. Well, because we just talked about, um, we just talked about Alan Rickman and how Alan Rickman is like kind of in a class of his own. Rutger Hauer to me is very much the same. Every character he plays, he puts so, so much emotion and, and man. Like he's just like, we've got Roy Batty, right? Lady Hawk. Oh, like, right,
0: he was in Lady Hawk. Of course, oh, man, I know yes, Listen, I was watching this movie, going, "Where do I know him from?" And it's Lady, Lady Hawk. Hawk. Yeah, oh, man, he's, he's the, the wolf. wolf, dude. Yes, yeah, of course. Come on, it's Howard, Why bro. would I not know that? Yeah, Hauer. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. He's listen, I, you know what I'm confused <laughs> about is flying car goes by. Then they're in this, like, city scene. And I, did I miss where this takes place and what city it is? Because Los Angeles. Is it Los Angeles? Because no. everywhere there's Asian signs, Asian street vendors. Mm. There's Asian... I comments about that. Well, where is he? Like, there's just, like, are, is he in Los Angeles? Or is he just, like, in the...
1: <laughs> He's in the United States. Um... What my notes just say is, thank God they still have Chinese food in the future.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. But, like, we yeah. saw that, too, in, like, The Fifth Element. Um, what else? There was like That's kind of, like, a running theme. Oh, what is it? Big Hero 6? It's new San Fran Tokyo? Yeah. Like the idea that, like, Asian culture has just, like, like submerged and, like, kind of overtaken American culture?
0: You know what? I, I deep down, <laughs> hope that that is the case. Their food is better... A lot of things
1: they do in Japan are, like, a million times better than what we do here. Did you know they recycle almost 99% of everything they use? They have no waste.
2: Ew, recycled noodles? Yes.
0: Yeah, well, that would be compost now, wouldn't it, Josh? Okay, so let's talk about the the part where Harrison Ford is just, like... In the rain, and he's like, Ooh, I'm gonna eat some food. And then those guys come up before he has a chance to even shove a noodle in his mouth. And
1: and by those guys, I think you're talking about Edward James
2: Almost.
0: Yeah, Edward James Almost. They come to recruit him back into uh, doing Blade
2: Runner work. Man. Um, So my note for here says everyone understands random languages.
0: Yeah, like in Star
2: Wars. Uh, Well, kind of, well, yeah. But like it's like the 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 police officer who comes to Gent Deckert, he's speaking this weird, like it's it like I've seen interviews with Edward James James almost and it's it's gibberish. It's like Yiddish mixed with something else mixed with something else in Spanish. It's like this weird jibba jab that he's like spitting. And then the dude at the noodle shop is like strictly Chinese, and Deckard's like,
0: No no no, two, 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 two. No, he's no, like, no, he says four. I want four. four. And then the, they're like, two. No, no, I want four. You're getting two.
1: It basically, it like opens and it's a weird dystopian city looking thing. Um, The interesting thing is actually Philip K. Dick, the author, hated the movie. The only thing he liked is that the scenery looked exactly how he pictured it. The city, the Chinese vendors, the, like, that is what he pictured the future looked like, including the steam, Call of plumber.
2: Uh Ridley Scott knocking it out of the park again. <laughs> okay, this is the part where he gets taken to the police station, right? Edward J. almost is wearing the weird wrestling helmet with all the digitized stuff on it. He flies, they land. Now, for being on the top floor, um, what's his name? Uh what's his name mentions this later. uh JF, JF Sebastian mentions this later. But there's all these big buildings, and half of them are abandoned.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Like they go into the police station. And come down onto the floor and it's like a full precinct, but the precinct is like empty. It looks like a bus station or an old like train station in the 50s.
1: The freaky part is we're kind of seeing that right now. It's like buildings abandoned because everybody works from home now.
2: Yeah, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. And then my next note is the police chief captain, uh, Johnny Walker weird bottle. So he pours Decker to Scotch. But the bottle he takes out is like, it's like an exaggerated Listerine bottle where the bottom, it's like an eye, like an eye shape.
1: And it's Jack Daniels.
2: No, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker, black label.
1: So the other like kind of interesting back thing that they don't really, I don't think they explain it that well in the movie, but just because I'm familiar with the books is that they're just, they're explaining replicants kind of, but repli- replicants are robots or androids yeah. and they make them so human even their their tagline the tyrell corp who makes them their tagline is more human than human
2: Like in some versions of the, the movie there's actually a voiceover reading the the script but yeah. it turns out in the script at the beginning uh, there, also, there, also there. letting you know what year it is what city it is and what replicants are
1: and they also like basically explain that they're they're not allowed on Earth because they're so human-looking. They can't no. tell them apart between a replicant or, or human, and so they're used to slave labor off-world.
2: Well, oh, because they don't need to breathe
1: air. Yeah, and they also give them a four-year lifespan because they start developing emotion because they're almost sentient. They start yeah. to develop emotion after two years. And by the time they're four, they're pretty much human. So they just cut their life, sh- their life short. we get yeah. into that later as we go on. That's kind of the motive for a lot of this movie.
2: So uh, old Deckard there, he gets uh, kind of voluntold to do this job. We're given the rundown about who Batty is, Pris. Yeah. So the <laughs> Blade Runner, what they are is they're, an offshoot of the police department that hunts and quote-unquote retires replicants. And they use that by using something called the Voight-Kampff machine or the Voight-Kampff test.
1: And, well, I call it the replicant test, but it's the VK or the Voight-Kampff test. No. No. And interesting enough, the book never mentions the phrase or the words, Blade Runner. That is made up for the movie.
2: Yeah.
1: After Decker is re-recruited into the Blade Runner special task
2: force. No, he's given a job and demanded. And he says, why doesn't such and such do it? And he says, we did get him to do it. And this other dude killed him.
0: Right, which I think is the opening scene. Yeah. But
1: there's four four that have come to Earth and they know that they've they've escaped and they've come to Earth. And so he's tasked with hunting them down.
2: Well, and the, the circumstances in which these four replicants come to Earth is pretty heinous. They take over the ship and like slaughter everyone. And there's there's Roy, Pris, Leon, and The Stripper one. The stripper one. <laughs> What's her name? Snakey Strippery. Snake yeah.
0: <laughs> Snakey Strippery. Yeah, eighty two boobs. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Those are same the same boobs as everyone has now, Joel. No. They just no, I, give this, I, give this, I give this movie three out of five 82 boobs.
2: <laughs> so there's a cool scene right here after this when, like, after we get all the info from the police chief, and that's Roy Batty stepping out of the phone booth. And it's like a futuristic phone booth, but it's still like a handheld, like, all right, phone, right? And he looks at Leon and he's like, did you get your precious photos? And Leon's like, no, there was someone there. So, like, there's been kind of some, uh, some weird stuff happening, and Deckard's kind of like, he's on, the, he's, on the, he's on the beat, man. He's on the beat now. He's like, I got this.
1: So, I'm going to delve into Kowalski doing the Void Comp test. It's just kind of what it is is a test to gauge empathy. And if they don't show the right empathy, they know that they're a replicant.
2: Yeah. So and there's right
1: this guy, Kowalski And they're asking him questions And if you didn't know what you were looking for You'd be like human That guy's totally human And then they start asking Very
2: unique questions And it's to purely gauge empathy So yeah, it's like It's all based on reaction
3: Come in A, nine. Care if I talk? I kind of nervous when I take tests or Just please don't move I already had an IQ test this year. I don't think I've ever had a. action time is a factor in this, so please pay attention. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand when all of a sudden... Is this the test now? Yes. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand, when all of a sudden you what look one? down... What What? desert? It doesn't make any difference what desert is completely hypothetical. But how come I'd be there? Maybe you're fed up. Maybe you want to be by yourself. Who knows? You look down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards tortoise? you. Tortoise? What's that? You know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. I've never seen a turtle. But I understand what you mean. You reach down, you flip the tortoise over on its back, Leon. Do you make up these questions, Mr. Holden? Or do they write them down for you? The tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it can't. Not without your help. But you're not helping. What do you mean, I'm not helping? I mean, you're not helping. Why is that, Leon? questions, Leon. In answer to your query, they're written down for me. It's a test designed to provoke an emotional response. Shall we continue? Describe in single words only the good things that come into your mind. About your mother? Your mother? Let me tell you about my mother.
1: Well, it's like there's a a meal being served to you and they're going to serve dog
2: yeah well I think Tyrell refers to it later as the flush response cool thing too if we're going to talk about um uh this other guy doing the voight test in the book the Blade Runners are required to or the the ones who hunt down replicants are required to take the test regularly themselves
1: that was, well that was the cool part of that book um oh Ready Player One Where in his test that he does to win the money or whatever, he has to do a replicate test, which I thought was such a good depth, but they didn't have it in the stupid movie.
0: There's so much that wasn't in that movie, man. Guess what? I'll give everyone a spoiler alert. We're not covering that movie.
1: So in this Voicomp test, and they're testing Kowalski, it seems like regular questions, but it's digging deeper into the empathy of the replicant and then the tortoise and
2: and whatever yeah
1: and so eventually like of course it cracks the machine he's found out to be a replicant and my notes say kowalski wasn't screened for a gun because he pulls out a gun and he shoots the master
2: yeah leon shoots him and like he's in a a detention facility yeah he's in like scrubs or whatever
1: I would assume that it's like a secure facility but maybe not he has a gun
2: well and maybe escapes. it's an maybe it's an editing gap
1: he escapes and actually that was the first scene in the movie we actually did the the scene where her some Ford's eating Chinese food and Andrew Edward James almost talks to him that actually happens after after the boy contest yeah. and because my notes say Edward James almost looks amazing his outfit. Yeah, and the goatee, and the only reason I know who this actor is is because I'm a big Battlestar Galactica fan, just like Dwight Trout
2: Well, fast forward again back to the scene where we we're talking about. Uh, Roy coming out of the 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 photo or the not the photo booth, the phone booth, the phone booth. He came out of the phone booth because he made a phone call. Because telephone calls exist on handheld tel- telephone units in the future.
1: Yeah, and like the other thing too is like. I guess I kind of sidetracked you when I was telling you to explain what a Blade Runner is, Mm -hmm. but what actually is happening while he's talking to um, the police chief is uh, that they're explaining that four of them have come to earth and that uh, he gives them their bios. So you see like Rudger Hauer and Daryl Hannah who plays one of them, the stripper one. Yeah. All that. And Kowalski. Yeah. And then, like, I guess, like, I already talked about it, but like, the point is, like, if you see someone with an animal, it's most likely a replicant animal.
2: You got to be wicked, uber rich to have like a real animal, even something weird. Like, they in the book, they talk about having like a mouse and how a mouse is prestigious.
1: Yeah. Harrison Ford um, heads to the Tyrell Corp to kind of like suss out like how to track down these replicants because they make them. So he's getting some intel. On the replicants, and he heads to the Tyrell Corp, and this is at the point where you see, like, the owl or whatever, and that's, like, a replicant owl.
3: Do you like our owl? It's artificial?
0: Of course it is.
3: Must be expensive.
2: Very. Just going back hey! not but the, a little bit, i I've got written down in my notes, beauty and ugly bicycles through the whole scene. There's a lot of like really weird stuff. Like it's, it's clearly intended to look gross and grimy and dirty and used and forgotten.
1: I love
2: the set design. Yes. I love it. Definitely. But there's a scene right after that Roy Batty scene, when he gets off the phone is this group of people rides by on bicycles and they're all lit up and like covered in like little plasticky domes. Like they're wearing like see-through plastic and lights and they ride through the, they ride through the streets and like throughout the entire movie, there's this constant battle of ugly and beautiful. It's like, there's just the most disgusting things. And then like, there'll be a moment of just like something that's really wonderful and whimsical. Like, again, we see that in the Tyrell tower, right. Or in the Tyrell building when they're flying there, the Tyrell building is like like you can see the cityscape and everything's like disgusting and then they get into the tyrell building and it's like just this pristine like kind of oaky filtered like marble and glasses and just like there's that constant
1: yeah and like at this point he walks into the tyrell building and that is um he talks to mr tyrell and then um, he introduces him to Rachel, who is played by the beautiful Sean Young. Sean Young. So, side side fact, Uh Sean Young also played Shawnee in the 1982 Dune.
2: David Lynch's so, Dune. She is, like, all over the show in 1982. She's, like, the sci-fi poster girl.
1: She also, in the 90s, played the bad guy in Ace Ventura.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh
1: is <laughs> out! Laces out! She, uh, her career took a bit of a dive because sadly she did actually deal with alcoholism and alcohol addiction. And so her career actually was a little bit like derailed. But in the 80s, man, she was just awesome. She just played awesome characters.
2: I find she's a little typecast.
1: As what? Chani from Dune and Rachel in Blade Runner? Those you two know, she plays, totally different she plays characters.
2: The, she plays the exact same character, but they're set in
0: different kind of like environments, so they react differently. That's all she needed. That's all she needed. Just those two roles.
1: I, I'm going to respectfully disagree, Josh, yep. because I think she was actually very talented and could play lots of different characters. I
0: don't know.
2: I don't know about that one. I don't think she was typecast so is this a test uh, to see whether i'm a replicant or a lesbian mr deckard
3: you're reading a magazine you come across a full-page nude photo of a girl
2: is this testing whether i'm a replicant or a lesbian mr
3: deckard just answer the questions please
1: that plays into my next point <laughs> or my next the next scene mr tyrell asks him to give rachel the void contest and he really can't tell She has this like amazing iconic hair And a really long cigarette. And then I also have in my notes, people are still smoking in the future. What? (laughs) Smoking cigarettes? Real? But uh, she's got a bit of sass. She's got so much personality. And just like sass, she's just like smart ass. And she throws it back at Deckard. So she doesn't know she's a replicant, but she is. She has no clue she's a replicant. Yes, spoiler she think- alert. She think no, 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 he explains it to her, or to Deckard, right after he does the test, because he comes in after the test, the test shows she's not a replicant.
2: Oh, but De- he asks De-
1: Mister Tyrell, and he says, she's a replicant. And he says, yeah. And he can't, you can't tell, because he's, so in Rachel, he's perfected replicants. You cannot tell the difference between her and a human. So, the Tyrell Corp are striving for perfection in their androids. The world government doesn't want replicants to be too human.
2: Wait, Yeah, because he walks out and asks how many questions it took for him to figure it out. And that's why they use Deckard as a Blade Runner, because he's got that, that wily intuition. Like, he knows he can suss out a situation pretty quick, pretty easy.
0: Yeah, how many questions? 30 or 40 questions? He can tell. Yeah. And then I think
2: he said like like into the hundreds, hundred and something questions. He goes usually what? I can tell within X amount, but it was about 130 some questions, and they're weird compound questions because they're like what they determine as a question is just like an inflection in how they say something. Like when we we saw the first void comp test with Leon, um, what's his name mentioned something about his mother, but he's like mm, mother, and like Leon said, like, what about my mother? And that's what sets him off. And so
1: like the trick to her programming is they've actually programmed in childhood memories and that's what makes the difference.
2: Yeah. But like the, like how Deckard asks and how like how the Voight-Kampff test is given is part of it. So when they talk about questions, like he may have only asked her like on screen, a handful of questions. But it's like all those weird little inflections to get the what he calls the flush response. And that's where this is the scene where Tyrell refers to that. He calls it the flush response.
1: Facts of the scene is that Rachel's a replicant. You can't barely tell. And then he uh, basically goes off to search for the other four replicants uh, to hunt them down because Rachel's a special case. She's a beautiful. Replicant that you would never know is a replicant, and he moves on with his his case. Let's, or be, his... let's
0: be honest; he's got a crush on the replicant, and he doesn't want to shoot well, her in the face. So Men love sassy women. That's true. And Deckard, can we uh, like Deckard's blue in this sass. one?
2: Oh yeah, like I've got a, I've got a note a little bit later on. It says robots and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> That
1: we've named our podcast after Deckard, and I I love Blade Runner. I love the premise. I love the books, but he's a bit of a dick. Later, I'm gonna get into it later about how like
2: the the struggle snuggle.
1: <laughs> well, just like he's just like he's not a nice guy. He's not a good guy. Hey, you love me. Anyways, love so it. the next scene is that like Edward James Olmos and uh, Deckard. What is his name in the movie? Edward James Olmus. I don't know.
2: Oh, I forgot to make a note on that. I can't remember. He's got a goatee ahead. and
1: he dresses like a pimp. Him yep. and uh, Deckard are like at Kowalski's apartment. There's also steam everywhere. So call a plumber.
2: This is a part. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead earlier. This, so that's when Deckard finds the, the photos. I was way ahead of my game there.
1: Yeah, because this is where Kowalski and Riker Hauer go into that eye place. Yeah, So they're, uh, like I, all these, like, black market replicant um, designers who will do, like, because they go into an eye place where they just make replicant eyeballs.
2: Yeah, and my note says, Eye World, Eddie Wong.
1: Eddie Wong runs the eyeball replicant place. I call him so Eye World it's like, Eddie. <laughs> it's just, like... A place where a a replicant designer, what are they called? They're, like, genetic designers? Yeah,
2: genetic No, No, the place says, like, the, the place they walk into is called Eye World.
1: No, I know, because he just does eyes. Yeah. So, I'm not sure, but, Josh, I don't know if you can clear this up for me. If you're blind, could you get a replicant eye? Is that why he does this? Yep. Or do you have, like, special abilities when you get a replicant eye? Like, you have, like...
2: Like you turned into a half a half blade runner?
1: Where like you have like grid like vision where you can like
2: No s- like you're like Predator. I think it's like just a legit like vision. You it's know, not like Predator would... where you have
1: like heat sensing or anything like that. Well there's like a something.
2: scene where he looks into, into Roy's eyes. And he's Boy. like what
1: generation.
2: Yeah. That's he lit. looks into Roy's eyes <laughs> and he was like, like what is like what generation are you? He says we're nexus six. He, he says that again to um to jf but like roy looks or uh no um eddie wong looks right into roy's eyes and he's like i made your eyes
0: i just do eyes just, just, just eyes just genetic design just eyes
3: you nexus huh i design your eyes if only you could see what i've seen with your eyes
2: So not only the eyes for replicants, but I believe, especially in reference to the book, you can purchase, like, eye replacements.
1: Okay. So I have another question about logistics of the film, Josh, because you, like, you read into these things. Why Mm -hmm. is it frozen? Why are they, why is it so cold
2: in there? Well, to preserve the flesh that they're working with, right? Because, like, especially the backside of the eye, like, that would have to be protected by something because it's 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 uh it's flesh like they create like a nano flesh so it's going to deteriorate as soon as you expose it to any sort of warmth whoa whoa whoa
0: eddie eddie wong who is eddie wong what josh did you just make up the word nano flesh no nano flesh and who is eddie wong
2: Eddie Wong is a famous actor. He was in Balls of Fury. He's been in, like, I think he's in Kill Bill. He's been in all these crazy... He was the voice of um, the panda's po, duck father. Yeah, Poe's dad
1: in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, so the
0: he, actor Eddie Wong. he's been shop. That's James Hong. What? <laughs> I looked him up, and it said his name was Eddie Wong. James...
2: No no no, I'm looking this up right now. Oh Lord.
1: Also, so there's a the scene continues and I know it's like they're in this like frozen eye place and Rutger Hauer says something and it's very poetic, but I did not write it down because I could not understand all of it. Josh, do you know what that is? What is he quoting?
2: Oh, I do know what you're talking about.
1: What? It's very poetic in the Rutger Hauer way like he's just Rutger Hauer is the most underrated actor on the planet he was so poetic and he was very theatrical almost not unlike Alan Rickman but he was just he was in weird movies he was in like weird sci-fis that nobody ever watched and his career kind of dwindled but I feel like he is the most underrated actor Lady Hawk come on
0: this episode of Weekend at Deckard's podcast is brought to you by the Bricks and Blisters podcast network helping fun and unique podcasts find their home. We provide help with podcasting ideas and also provide podcast editing by trusted professionals. For more information or if you have any questions, please email us at bricksblisters at gmail.com. Again, that's bricksblisters at gmail.com. Now on to your show. Where did I get the name Eddie Hong? Hey, Listen, A-Wong? I'm sorry I didn't stop you earlier. No, I've mean, <laughs> no, I, I looked, I, I looked at two references now. Let's say his name is James Hong.
2: Joel, I'm so glad you pointed it out. Yes, thank you for stopping
0: me earlier. Where did I get my name?
2: Eddie. What's his name,
0: Joel? James Hong.
2: James Hong. James Hong. Sorry. To all our listeners, I apologize. I am 100% wrong with uh, what his name is. But in the movie, the character name is Hannibal Chu. And Hannibal Chu is a eye designer.
0: Yeah, that part was gross. He was all like...
1: Yeah, but it's a, just a replicant
0: eye. It's not like human. It's it made nano of? flesh. It's nano flesh. Which I'm made it's us. nano flesh. <laughs> oh, Leon, uh, squish in the eye. Yeah. Now, did anybody like look into whether or not those are
2: real eyes, or if they're just like a like an olive in, in an egg?
0: No, uh, I, I didn't look into it. I think I'm going to move on, because
1: Joel seems like he's going to barf. And you keep saying nano flesh. Yeah, I think yeah. you should patent that saying. Yeah, I give this. Term.
0: I give this movie four out of five nano flesh.
2: <laughs> it's three quarters of a body of nano flesh for a replicant. The <laughs>
1: <laughs> next scene, it shows Decker and he's talking to Rachel because they Wait, like wait, like wait.
2: Flesh wait. There's a clip between that where they actually drive through the same tunnel they used in Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, I actually
1: have a note that says Deckard's driving a triangle car.
2: Go on. And,
1: and then I also say set design is super dark and super rainy, and I love it.
2: Uh, so we're going back to Deckard's apartment. So Deckard gets uh, a bottle of schmooze. Right, old,
0: old booze bag uh, Deckard. Booze bag Deckard. But, but Rachel shows up. Yeah, which is and, good and well, bad news. Well, I take exception
1: to this scene because... Rachel doesn't know she's a replicant, and Deckard decides he's going to tell her she's a replicant and that all her memories are fake. They're just downloaded. I know she takes it in stride. She takes it like a champ. However, if you don't know you're a robot, you think you're a person, and somebody tells you you're a robot and knows
2: all your memories, that's a dick move. Back up, back up, back up. As soon as Deckard leaves, she rolls in knowing that she's a replicant. I don't think she does. Why would they do her? the Void Conf test?
1: To test that she's a human, and I think she thinks she passes.
2: No. God. I think there's some other stuff.
1: That... That... No, I think that she's like, maybe she has an inkling, but I don't think she knows. And an I think inkling? she confirms it. Yeah, I and think she's, not...
0: she's got an idea.
1: Yeah, of course. She's got an inkling, but. Like, he confirms it, and it's like, it's none of his damn business, what is he doing telling her she's a replicant? and I think he's kind of a dick. I love Deckard, he's super handsome, but, what a dick.
2: But aren't you attracted to that kind of guy anyway?
1: I do like assholes, yes. That is mm. a fact about me.
2: Where, what, are we werewolves or are we swearwolves? <laughs> yeah.
1: Excuse my language.
2: I do like. use my swearwolves.
1: I do like scoundrels, like Han Solo. Okay. So there's a scene. He tells her she's a replicant. She's like put out. It's obviously hurt her feelings, and then she leaves.
2: Yep. Now, new scene. This is JF and Pris. So it shows Pris, who we kind of saw a glimpse of before, and she's strutting down the street looking like a little piece of gutter trash.
1: So who plays Tr- Pris?
2: Oh, uh, Daryl Hannah. Yeah.
0: You know what? Have you seen I'm her really recently? She uh she's <laughs> dating or married to Neil Young. Is she really? really?
1: She's in a relationship with Neil Young. Alright,
0: you guys cool. talk. Uh, Joel's gonna hit the gooks.
1: Chris enters the scene.
0: Yeah. Oh
1: and yeah, look at that.
0: Like, look at that. Spouse?
2: Neil Young. Yeah. Mm. Go figure. Since 2018.
0: Calm right. a little bit. She can play in Blade Runner, but then be a mermaid in Splash, you know? Oh, and be 100% awesome in 50-Foot Woman.
1: She's just, she's so diverse in her acting skills. She's an amazing actress. She's very underrated.
0: And I, Gone, in Kill Bill.
1: Yes, Kill Bill. How could I forget?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, one of those. Too bad nobody can see hey, the visual you
1: guys, can, you guys can't see this but they're doing the scene where she plucks the eyeball
0: Whoop. yeah that dude That dude's like i don't like your attitude Bacow! goodbye oh. eyeball take that daryl hannah anyway yeah. this is where we're gonna <laughs> i give this characters. movie uh four out of five daryl hannah eyeballs four out of five,
1: <laughs> so out this five is amazing this... daryl hannah
0: yeah
2: Okay, okay, okay. This is the scene where we're introduced to a character named J.F. Sebastian, and J.F. Sebastian is a designer. Uh, does it say he's a roboticist or a designer? I think or, he's a.
1: Desi- I think they're all called designers. Even the black market people—they're design. They design a uh, replicant. It's yeah, like it's basically coding.
2: But he works directly for the Tyrell Corporation, creating uh, new models of replicants and different different uh, toys and so on and so forth. And it explains why he's still on Earth. Because at this point, JF does a little bit of foreshadowing. He talks about why there's so many homes available. He starts talking about how there's no home shortage. Because everyone's fleeing the planet.
1: And also to comment on the set design, the building they go into is absolutely
2: gorgeous. That's the Bradbury building. If you look up the Bradbury building... It's like it's a real building. It's a famous building uh an apartment building block in Los Angeles, California.
1: It's gotta and, be turn of the
0: century. It's
2: well, or, Yeah, and like the I've got all these like notes on it says Bradbury Building.
0: Talk about this. Oh no, actually it's called the James Hong Building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the James Hong Building. Does someone so, want to confirm that I'm
2: calling this the Bradbury Building, <laughs> and that's the right thing?
1: Bradbury Building. Josh, Bradbury I, do
2: building.
1: Have a I do have a question about this character, though. It seems like he's living under the radar. Is he living under the radar?
2: Yes and no. Uh, is, and he explains he scene, Illegal. It explains it in the scene where he's about to let Pris into the building. She. He says, "Oh, he talks about the the building." Or the housing boom because everyone's allowed to live wherever like mm-hmm. if you find a piece of property to live in you're welcome to live there
1: lives the beautiful, beautiful so he in a beautiful beautiful building
2: yeah the, well
1: this set, the set design is amazing i just love yeah. everything about it
2: well this building too so he's like yeah i live here all alone because right like nobody else lives here and she's like, well, why didn't you leave? And he's like, he, he says he's got, like, an aging disease. So he's only, like, 24 or 25.
1: That's right, yes. But sir. he
2: looks like an old man. Yes. <laughs> he explains that he's got the, the aging disease, and that's why he can't leave the planet. <laughs> he's got that he Benjamin Button thing. So, like,
1: the other question I have is, like, the Blade Runners are hunting Chris. And then she introduces herself as Chris. Is she not trying to hide?
0: Um, I think it may be just poor script writing. Yeah, or they okay. just knew that they were going to off that dude.
1: They can't have an introduction. There is this very creepy a teddy
2: bear and mm. toy soldier. Mm. Oh, right. All the scenes. Okay, I was watching this movie with my daughter. And I said, heads up, there's toys that are creepy. What it is is like little people in costume, but it looks like super creepy toys.
0: And she goes, Cool. I'm out.
2: building all by
1: yourself.
0: Yeah, I live here pretty much alone right now. No housing shortage around here.
3: Must get lonely here, champ. Mm.
0: Not really. I make friends. They're toys. My friends are toys. I make them. It's a hobby. I'm a genetic designer. Do you know what that is? No. Get yeah, Home again. Home again, home again, diggity, diggity. Good evening, Good Evening, fellas. (coughs) They're my friends. I made them. Where are your folks?
1: I'm sort of an orphan.
0: Oh, what about your friends?
1: I have some, but I have to find them. I'll let them know where I am tomorrow. So it's just, I found it like really, really kind of, Unsettling.
2: Well, he JF says I make my own friends. And he's talking about being a toy, a toy and replicant designer. And then with like extra parts that he's able allowed to take home, he builds his own friends.
1: Okay, so like Chris gets settled with uh this dude in this beautiful building with the creepy toys, and then we cut to a white unicorn.
2: Oh, yeah yeah that's the unicorn scene of the, the famous unicorn scene
1: now i didn't watch the extended version i just watched the regular version what did you guys see in the well a
2: unicorn a unicorn runs up to uh, tom cruise and tom cruise is wearing like this weird kind of um it's like a tunic and he's got longerish <laughs> hair are you talking about legends? <laughs> no, because no, Tim Curry's
0: in his dream. I remember that. And then or then no, was this... it wasn't the devil. <laughs> no, he's, no, and then this fairy's like, come but on, Dr. Jack. Jack, come oh, on. Right. So, Get this unicorn for me, Jack. That's
1: right, and it's Sloane from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's the girl.
2: Come along now, Sloane. Uh, anyway,
1: it's the unicorn scene. Deckard is imagining a unicorn.
0: Yeah, I give this movie uh, three out of five unicorn horns. Oh, dude, that's how you podcast. That was so... (laughs) The sound of that cork coming out was perfect. I
1: want to mention the little machine that he's got. So he's got a a Polaroid. uh, The pictures that he picked up. And then he's put it in a machine that looks like a DVD player, and then he's talking to a Siri type program that's like, like magnifying and zooming out, magnifying and but but And I thought that was really cool as a futuristic idea. Like when they made this movie, as if they knew we'd have like Siri and like you just literally do this on your phone. Yeah,
0: predicted the future.
1: Nobody, nobody can see that, but I just took my fingers and like spread them. That's how you. Magnify a picture nowadays. Yeah, you don't talk to the machine. Yeah, you use your thumb and <laughs> your
0: index finger, and you just. <laughs> so, I would like to bring up something
2: that was just kind of glossed over there quickly. Is the unicorn dream? Once that unicorn dream happens, that's when in the movie we're introduced to the idea that maybe Deckard is a replicant.
0: Yeah,
1: because so. People that have read the book, it's called "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?"
0: And so the it's book,
1: a man having a dream about an animal. So is it an android having a dream about a replicant animal?
2: Right, and in the book, the character Deckard, like you said, he has to like he's constantly encouraged to do the voight test on himself to make sure because there's a certain point where the these um, uh, the, the Blade Runners. Right, they so they start like questioning themselves. Like I'm so good at recognizing other replicants. Am Why I a replicant? That? Yeah. And you know what? I, I get that in a couple different ways. That's a very natural natural response Like humans would start questioning. If I do this so much, and I think um, there's a scene where Rachel says, "Have you ever done the test on yourself?" Right. I think
1: that's when he's doing the voice test on her. Yeah. She, I think that's one of the first things that she says is she asks if he's ever done it himself.
3: Yeah. And that's
2: a reference to the book where he does do it on himself. I think his like, cause he's either neighbors or oh, I'm fuzzy on the book now, but he's either neighbors or he's good friends with another blade runner. And the blade runners are like, there's only one per precinct or one per, like, I think they I
1: thought they were a special task force. Yeah. But I think like, they're like in the book they're problem. given.
2: Yeah in the book they're given different kind of territories and they very rarely overlap. In fact, they're encouraged not to just in so, case, like, cause they, cause they're like in the book, they're dealing with replicants so often that they start being suspicious of everyone.
1: So I just, I do have a question of the okay. like logistics of the world that we've been built by Philip K. Duck. Okay. Now he, they make replicants why wouldn't they make all the replicants look the same, so that you just know if that's a replicant or not? Like if they all looked like Pewee Herman, you would just know if you saw that. Just like a person. billion Paul
2: Rubens running around and doing heavy labor with his If you, just saw, body? If you
1: just saw Paul Rubens, you'd be like, "Oh, a replicant." Why do they have to do the test? Why don't they have model numbers?
2: You, know, they do have model numbers. Like when it, when it it sh- when the police chief is first showing them. Um, Roy, Pris, Leon, and... So why don't they just Earl? know
1: them to see them? Why is there this big runaround?
2: Well, because Tyrell is creating robots or replicants off-planet. So when they come back to Earth, they're given the make and model numbers.
1: I just think everybody should just know to see who replicants are. Or well, just, like, Make them look like
2: robots. That well that that kinda like negates the entire thing with the, the the Tyrell Corporation has going on. One of the reasons why they're so reliable, one of the reasons why they work so hard, take charge, all these things, is because they think and they feel human. They give them emotion, which makes them better replicants, but also makes them more human. So the the voice activation Siri. Right? Well, yeah, but like he's giving it like these really strategic, specific commands. And again, that's another little like peek into Deckard's world is like the Blade Runners, they use a completely different language, they use a different technology, they're given access to all this strange stuff, and they become this weird little niche character. And each Blade Runner is different and deals with things differently. So at the beginning, when Deckard's voluntold to go and chase down these replicants, there's a reason why. And it keeps resurfacing. Well, he's just
1: super good at it.
2: He's good at his job. So the picture is an analog picture on film. Do you see all the clarity he gets from that picture? I'm like, in my notes it says there's no way, no way analog versus digital. Meaning, like, there's no way in the world he can get that much clarity. And, like, look around the corner, I mean the, the lady in the bath, there's no way he can get that clarity.
0: My notes. None. My notes say... Polaroids in 2019?
1: <laughs> I'm like, cigarettes in 2019? You're like, Polaroids in 2019, what? Triangle cars floating in 2019? Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so he, with this information that he gets from the picture, he goes and he kind of researches, and I'm pretty sure it's like black market genetic design that he's, he's looking into. And I think... I really think that black market replicant animals is the wave of the future. I think someone should look into it because no poop, no pee. Don't got to feed them. Like you can design the behavior. Like my stupid dog is ridiculous. And the only thing that saves him is how flippin' ridiculous he looks. And it makes me laugh every day. I would love an animal other than poop or pee.
2: Street scene. Mine always say street scene. Mine do too. Is it three emus or is it three um ostriches? There's an emu, there's a like an no, there's owl. Like, there's like two there's or three emus. Yeah, there's a butt so like he's chasing down and looking for He thinks it's a fish. Right.
1: And he thinks it's a fish scale and then he goes to a black market replicant designer and she yeah. tells him it's a snake skin. Yeah. Because she... she sees the serial number on the
2: the dude that, that breeds and replicates snakes? Is a Middle Eastern guy. Yes. And again, like throwing some like weird stereotypes in there. He's got like you know the smoke rising, and he's wearing like a linen suit. He's got we a snake to, on we, his have to,
1: we have to remember that in 82 it was okay to have the stereotypes. Yeah. Whereas like nowadays it's like, you know, everybody's who they are.
2: It's snowflake types. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think that replicant animals is a fantastic idea. And yeah. then decorates in a bar.
2: Oh, oh! When he walks into the bar, my note says, "Unpops collar for the first time in the movie."
0: Yep, yeah, he's relaxing. Yeah, he takes that collar and he lays it down. <laughs> Old boozebag Deckard back at it. The the coolest part about this
1: is he walks up to a machine that's like a payphone, but it's actually like a FaceTime machine. Face like it's a video. It's a video call machine instead of a instead of a payphone. It's a paid video phone.
2: So the idea of FaceTime is there. It's just not handheld. It's not mobile. Everything's bolted to a wall still. Doing a set design,
1: I would just have the video phone. I wouldn't think of the graffiti. Like, I just, like, I don't think in those depths. And yeah. I, I really appreciate it in this movie.
2: It's super organic. Like, it's, it's, it's real to the character. It's real to the time. It's real to what would happen in that space.
1: Um, I just have the best hairdryer ever curls in the 80s.
2: So this is where he confronts uh, the stripper bot, and she's got a snake.
1: That's how he tracks her down, is he tracks down anybody that's bought a snake. He finds her at the strip club.
2: She's She's covered in the scales.
1: Yeah, and she's doing her thing. And uh, that's why I have best hairdryer ever, because she literally has a shower this is where the 82 hair, boobs come in dry but her hair is not only dry it has all the volume and curls of an 80s hairdo
0: uh, 82 boobs not for me this is where we uh, introduced the 82 is, boobs yeah this is where the 82 boobs are listen i don't know what it is but i just didn't like it i didn't like what i saw and i would like that part of my life back also what i want
1: your opinion again because i'm going to go back to the four-year lifespan thing of a replicant um if they only live five years who gives a crap if they're on earth they'll just die in four years why is it a thing is it because they were kind of in terrorist territory where they were killing people
2: uh, i don't know I, i've thought the same thing but at the same time like if you're going to start picking that apart where where you what else are you going to pick apart oh everything
1: everything yeah we could you know what we could do a whole like season on Blade Runner, and, like, the undertones of the story, and even the set design, I could talk a whole episode about it.
2: Okay, so let's move forward where Deckard is trying to get answers out of Stripper Bot. Do you notice the accent he uses? No. It's, like, that's super effeminate, like, yeah, they'll draw little halls. Oh, yes! And he's just like, whoa! Whoa, Harrison Ford! Yeah, he goes, like, full-on, like, effeminate, like, Clamboyant stereotype
1: defense. oh yeah but then obviously she knows he's a replica or he's a blade runner after right. a few minutes and uh, she takes off and there's a chase scene where she's wearing this like see through a raincoat and she's running and he's chasing her with a gun and I don't know about the choice of music it is this sexy saxophone music yeah okay.
2: yeah well I think what they were going for when they did that was like the old black and white like private eye movies
0: Yes, it'd be yeah. like that
2: kind of like this sad horn in the background Yeah, 100% and so I think that's what they were going for and it just kind of it missed a little because it felt like you can't see that scene without hearing the music but then at the same time you're like what music would I put in there? like a little like million dollar man or six million dollar man like <clears throat>
1: No, I just, I feel like that was an odd choice.
2: Well, definitely an odd choice. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, if you were going to put something different in there, what would it be? I don't
1: know. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. she falls fall through a glass case with, with mannequins.
2: Back up, back up, back up. There's another one of those scenes where Shirley Scott puts weird stuff in. Like before I talked about the, the, the bicycles and the, the glow balls. Harry Krishna's. There's very Christians
1: in this scene. Again, it shows
2: like another like kind of panicked like street.
1: And Jack and I watched this together, my son and I, and he was like, "Are those Amish people in the background?" And we had to like kind of stop and pause it. And there's like Hasidic Jews because they're always part of any big city. Yeah. there's, like, some, some Hasidic Jews, and there's the Hare Krishnas, and, like... Yeah, it's a weird You're building scene. Well, they're building all this cultural everything into this street scene, including the steam... Well, well and, like, we, we've been repeatedly talking about the Asian cultures in this movie, and it's, like... Yeah, like, the city seems to be, like, kind of dominated by the Asian culture, which, you know, I would love to live in Asia. Well, and, like eat that amazing food and like it's just like it's just a really cool like back in 82 that was pretty forward to have like a whole bunch of different cultures into the city
2: yeah and especially like
1: los angeles
2: they explain that in the books and in like the the movie to come is it like it's a super center a super city and what happens is like everything in like the midwest just like it gets fried so everyone flees where they are and like flees to these crazy mega cities and then eventually they leave they go off world but they have to be approved to go off world they have to be like viable candidates to leave the world and if they don't meet that they have to stay in these centers so you end up with a lot of cultures mixing and that's why at the beginning when we talked about everyone understands weird languages all the different languages are being spoken, but everyone's like, oh yeah, I understand that. Somehow. Some
1: massive sidebar. Like, I feel like people who immigrate to the United States, and well, in Canada, we're in Canada. We were talking just the other day because my husband is doing the podcast about ghost towns and we drove through one and there was a there was a Chinese buffet. <laughs>
2: yep. In
0: every, They're everywhere. every
2: small town across Canada, there's at least one Chinese food restaurant.
1: No, but how... Balzy, do you have to be to go to a, a place like Three Hills, Alberta, where they have a gopher museum and be like, buffet. And I it's thriving. It's thriving because everybody loves it.
2: What, what always blows my mind is like these people who are a little backwoods. I wouldn't necessarily say ignorant, but just like perhaps sheltered a bit. They're in, intolerant. Like they don't want different cultures. But they want their egg rolls.
1: Yeah, but they don't want other cultures, but they want their ginger beef.
2: Yeah. They don't want they don't want to like deal with the people. But man, these egg rolls are the best. Like
1: <laughs> Well we don't have that accent, but we sure have a middle Alberta accent where I'm from. Let's let's move on. The, the sexy saxophone music during the death scene. <laughs> so he shoots the stripper replicant stripper and uh,
0: flies through a window. <laughs>
1: Oh, and weird weird thing that we noticed is when she flies through the, the display case and knocks over the mannequins, the mannequin is wearing these, like, weird pants, and then it shows her, like, dead shot, and she's wearing the same pants. Interesting fact.
0: I <laughs> so give then, I this movie fact. three out of five mannequin pants. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, but after that replicant gets shot, it does show um, Kowalski in the background, in the steam again and uh, he's watching what happens and so he knows that the stripper replicant is dead
2: i have another note and the note says if there's no housing shortage why is there thousands of people in the streets earlier we were told we were told that there's like there's so many houses like no one has to worry about housing but there's like a billion people in the streets all at the same time i didn't notice that but that's interesting yeah and then this leads to a great glass death. Willy really Wonka great glass death. <laughs> That's what you called it? The great glass death? Yep. And then it says, fight with Leon. And this is where Deckard, for the first time in the movie, gets his ass handed to him. Ugh. Leon absolutely, like, pummels him. And another famous quote here, Joel?
0: Wake up, time to die. Wake up,
2: time to die. anyway, so... Hey, yo, uh, uh Deckard, wake up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, uh, listen,
0: it's time to die, buddy. But then, but then Rachel shoots
1: Kowalski.
2: I don't know if there was, like, a lack of, like, did you guys notice, like, when he got shot, it, it was like a weird, like, squib went off and there was nothing. It was, like, just, like, a hollow, weird, flappy flesh thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like...
2: like yep. It was like, there's no... There's either a lack of special effects or they did it like that on purpose. Like, no, no blood, no nothing. It was just like, like a weird flesh colored flat. Deckard heads to Rachel's place. They go back to Deckard's place again. Oh, sorry. He gets to clean himself up after the fight. And my notes say very specifically, he gets a bottle of vodka and then he pours himself a drink into like a tall shot glass and he takes like half a swig and then blood runs into the shot glass.
1: Ooh it was very cinematic very yeah So in this scene is actually where Rachel alludes to him being a replicant and asking if he does the test.
2: Yes now this it kind of highlighted something I don't know if it was this was done on purpose or this was kind of seen afterwards and they they capitalized on it but the light the way the light goes into a replicant's eyes, it reflects back all strange. Like when you like shine a flashlight on a cat or a dog or something. So it reflects back in a really strange way. And I wonder if that's a bit of foreshadowing because it's my notes, say light and eyes.
1: So again, why do they need a boy comp test?
2: Is that something that we as the, as the watcher can see, but the experiencer can't.
1: I just, I feel like there's a bit of a hole in the, in the movie story. Or it's like, why is there this like extensive personality test when they can just look look at them?
3: Does
2: that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like again, it's like in certain movies we're introduced to the idea that we are privy to all this information, but the people who are living the movie are not.
1: So, Deckard <laughs> sleeps with Rachel, and in the book, sleeping with a replicant is one of the worst things you can do. It's it's another layer. Yeah, it's like it's considered disgusting. Anyways, so next we flash to Pris again. Daryl Hannah. And she's putting on that amazing eye makeup or it's like black, like a raccoon. Like she's got a white face and then black. And then uh, we're also going to enter Rutger Hauer again.
2: Yes. And, and, and that's where...
1: And he's Pris.
2: Yeah, that's where they kind of party crash on J.F. Sebastian here. Now, in the same time, when Roy walks in, he has a look at the the chess, the chessboard, and he asks he starts, you know, just having a bit of uh, back and forth with JF and he reveals that he, JF plays with Tyrell. And and Roy's like, that's my in. That's my in, yo. Yeah.
1: And uh, my notes say the pants on Rudger Hauer.
2: When it comes to like the end scene where Rudger is like shirtless. And even, I think in this scene, he takes off his jacket and he's wearing a white shirt and his pants come up to, like, here. Like, easily mid-ribcage.
1: This is also, like, the part where Pris uh, quotes Rene uh, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Rene Descartes. (laughs) I think, therefore I am. And that is just basically, I think existentialism uses that a lot, where you exist because you can think. And she's saying that I'm a person because I can think. And that's where the replicant conundrum comes in because I'm actually, I feel super, super bad for the replicants because they are people, even though they're machines, they think, therefore they are.
2: I think that's something that was explored a little bit more by Ridley Scott than it was by Philip K. Dick.
1: In this story though, in this universe, like, Maybe Isaac Asimov's universe—it's a bit different. But in this universe, it's the replicants actually like develop feelings; they're gaining sentience. So they basically, Redger Hauer and Daryl Hannah talk um, the Toy Maker into being their ally.
0: Right, and he plays chess with what's his nuts there,
1: and, and that's his in, like Josh said before, and so. Um, he brings uh, Roy, or Ruger Hauer, to Mr. Tyrell. And right. he gets to have a conversation with Mr. Tyrell about or, his life expectancy.
0: Or his father. <laughs>
1: this, this is where I really start feeling for the replicants, because Roy is literally begging for his life to Mr. Tyrell. Because he's actually got emotions, he's got thoughts, he's a sentient being.
2: He's like, please, I just want to live. It's not an easy thing to meet your maker. And What can
3: he do for you? And the maker repair what he makes. Would you like to be modified? Had in mind something a little more radical. What? What seems to be the problem? Death. Death. Well, I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction. You, I want more life,
1: Father. It's, uh, he calls him the prodigal son. So he's like at this god complex, Mr. Tyrell.
2: Oh, this is, there's another scene here where it shows the owl's eyes, and the owl's eyes do the same reflecty thing. So again, it's like foreshadowing or like letting the, the watcher know that if we're going to show a replicant, they're going to have reflecty eyes little heads up there and then i've got weird man-on-man kiss slash skull crush right
0: so he's all kiss of life there kiss of death right and then yeah thumbs into eyes Yeah, it's it was it was a tough tough watch to get through the uh, the thumbs going into the eyes, but you know uh-huh. I powered and through, Le- and Leon
2: kind of looks at him like, oh, oh, okay, that's how you're gonna roll, huh? huh. And JF yeah. JF hey. kind of loses it here too. We lose JF also. I think that's a character that was like not really used to the full. I think they really well. I mean, he was used like period, but. I think they could have developed that character a bit more because he had way more depth than most of the the, the tiny little side characters.
1: Yeah, but they only have so long in a
2: movie, right?
1: Yeah, like, we yeah. can argue that all day about every single movie of the characters. No, have. I
2: like JF, and he's old, but
1: young. In the meantime, while this is happening with Mr. Tyrell and Roy, Deckard's on Priss's trail.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay, sorry, uh, another side point and we can get back to this, but every time you say Roy, I think of that part in quickly Down Under. Roy! <laughs> Roy! <laughs> oh no, Roy! Yeah, you know, uh, Roy! What's the matter, Roy? <laughs> like, Roy. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: so we go back to the Bradbury building Um, and Deckard sneaks up the a beautiful staircase. This is where he steps in to the world's ickiest, creepiest playhouse. The I have room. Such
1: a creepy scene. That's oh, yeah. what I have in my notes.
2: Like it one one shot, like the camera was like stationed in one place. And like it's like it makes it feel like dust is collecting as you're watching.
1: It's creepy, and it's like Pris is, like got that weird makeup on, and she's sitting there like pretending to be a toy. Yeah.
0: And it's like, oh god. Pris comes unglued. Hata, hata, hata. Yeah, does the cartwheel thing,
2: or What's not that cartwheel, that but like
0: the flips, gets up on his then, shoulders, does the thing. And then like Fanky jansens him? Like, grabs hey. his nostrils with her. Yep. Right? Just grabs his nose, pulls up, and then twists his neck.
2: What? Right? And how yeah. is his
0: neck <laughs> not broken? Like, does she do a swivel? We don't know. Like, do, do you guys remember Famke Jansen in the in the James
2: Bond movie where she like crushes everyone with her legs? Like
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do they call her? The crushinator? Yeah, so I don't know what's happening in this scene. It looks like she breaks his neck, but he's still going. And then he kills her. Then- yeah, and then oh. he, he shoots her and she does that.
2: My my notes say Pr- pris death yip.
1: his father, and is super, super pissed about press. Because yeah. him and her, were tight, and he gives her a little kiss goodbye. The cinematography is amazing, and there's some more steam.
2: Her tongue is like, eh, and he
1: kisses her inside. Huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Her tongue is sticking maybe out.
1: He pushes, maybe he pushes it in.
0: I'm yeah. just gonna, here we go. Yeah, instead of pushing it in with my finger, I'll push it in with my tongue. Well, yeah. Anyway,
1: that's over. There's some more, like, Tussle and, like, Ritger Hauer and and, uh, Harrison Ford kind of, like, do their thing. And then we enter the tears in in Ryan's speech. Okay, there's a couple
2: of things that lead up to that, though. We've got got Scary Ballet Chase. Yeah. (laughs) Scary Ballet Chase crawls onto next floor through decrepit hole in the floor. Yep. And then
0: nail in the hand.
2: Oh, yeah, nail in the the hand. hand.
0: What's he doing? What's he doing? Okay, how about this? You know how he, like, reaches through the wall? He, like, punches through the wall, grabs his hand. Was that where he breaks his fingers, fingers, man?
2: (laughs) He's like, ah!
0: Yeah. But, like, no, Riker Howard puts a nail into his own hand. Yeah. Roy's like,
2: squish, and you're like, ugh, (laughs) Ah! Even if it's like fake, it just gives you the x So, like, because if
1: you're just watching Blade Runner, there's a lot to this story about replicants that you don't really get unless you've read the books. Because yeah. the speech kind of brings out some things that you don't hear about in the movie. It's actually a really, really beautiful speech, but half of it is like, huh? Because you don't, you don't have the the backstory to get the information. So the speech is, and this is cut down because it used to be really, 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 really long. Josh? Hold up, hold
2: up. There's like two things, two or three things that like I have notes on again before this. My notes say, WTF is Deckard doing? <laughs> like in panic mode, like stumbling around the place like a dumb bum. And then it says, Deckard some dumb jumps. And then Roy with a friggin' pigeon.
0: Yeah, okay, so before the speech... I'm going to pick up where Josh left off on this pigeon. Right? right. a pigeon? He's he's looking around. It's raining. Is it a dove? Listen. No, it's a dove. You're right. It's a dove. So it's pissing rain. Which is the pretty, sturdy pigeon. Pissing rain. And he's like, ooh, dove. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Grabs this dove. And like, he's like, got it. And does the roof jump with the dove. So Decker jumps
2: barely makes it, yeah. right? He's got the busted up fingers and he's like hanging on to yeah. the bolt, like yeah, he's like, of, like, like the worst crimp. He's like, hey. <laughs>
0: yeah, an old pigeon hands over there does it with ease.
2: Well, he saves Deckard first. Like he's falling and he, gra- and he grabs, him. grabs him and pulls him up and then sits him down. Can I, can
1: I just play the speech because it, it is really good. But you need some context to it without okay. the, like beyond the movie. Go
2: context, go.
3: Seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost. In time, like tears in rain, time
0: to die. And then he releases the dove. Well, he dies and lets go of and it. And then the dove releases. Right, and flies off into the rain. Do doves even fly in rain? <laughs> All I know is what it sounds like when doves cry. Not yeah. when oh, doves fly in rain. nice Prince reference for this one, eh? So, like when, he,
1: when he talks about, like, he's seen things you people wouldn't believe, like the attack ships off the shoulder, shoulder of Orion...
2: Is that because they're all sea beams glittering at the Tenhouser Gate? You're just like, that's so kick ass. But yeah, but what is the Tenhouser Gate? We don't get any out context. Okay, so we know that they we know that they work off world, like they're they're created to like to forge a forward for the human race in space. So they're clearly like attack ships off the rings of Titan. Okay, we know what that is. And then the Tannhauser Gate is clearly something that's, like, some, like, jump point or some, you know, location in some sort of spaceport. Yeah. Where Because, like, I mean, like, you've got I-beams and C-beams, right? And they're being loaded up. So, I mean, like, it's for, like, forwarding the foundation. Like, Russian, so.
1: they, like, in the book, it alludes to, like, Russian gypsy ships that, like, fight against, like, human ships and stuff. We don't get that in the movie. And I know this isn't a podcast about the book, but it's like that speech is beautiful, but nobody understands it unless you read the books.
2: Yeah. And according to Ruger Hauer, he did like four or five takes where he read these like long, elaborate speeches. And the original one that was, yeah, the original one that was written versus the one that made the cut. Like he was literally just tired of saying this like monologue. And so he like, compressed it cut it down and like turned it into something like sweet but like simple
1: well it's so sad it just it's oh, yeah. sad because he's seen so many things in a short life all of it's gonna be forgotten nobody's gonna care
2: yeah he's all gone like, tears, on, like, and like tears in rain you can't tell it just yeah blurs it's away. Beautiful.
1: it's beautifully delivered i think that's what gets me is the way he says it is beautiful I don't understand most of what he's saying, but the way he does, just, I love theater actors. I love them. Yeah. They're amazing.
2: Uh, the dove in the fly and the, the lights. Yeah. And, and then who shows up?
1: None other than Edward James Olmos again.
2: He's like, like, Oh, so you're not dead. It's essentially like the look he gives him. He's like, come on. Let's go. Oh yeah, I, I guess
1: we left out that Ruger Howard dies after set after oh, saying time to die. The clip he says inspired. time to
2: die. He's just like
1: he expires. No. Edgar James almost shows up and he tosses him a gun for some reason, even though Rutger Howard's dead. Yeah. And then he said and then he walks off and is like swabby suave. Swab.
2: I think and what then- it is is Deckard loses his gun earlier. And so he probably picked it up and chucked it back to him. Uh, Again, we stumble upon an editing flaw. So somewhere there was a clip that showed Edward James almost picking up the gun. And now we're not given that bridge to this scene.
1: I get it. I just didn't get what the significance of tossing him his gun anyways. And then he says, uh, and then he turns around to him and it's raining again, of course, because the cinematography and set design is amazing. And he says, it's too bad. She won't live. And he's talking about Rachel, and then he's like, "But who really does?"
2: Yeah, and that's and like
1: another thing that sits with
2: you. Yep, yeah. and how he says it too is he's yelling because I don't know if somebody opened up a fire hose above these boys or what, but it is not—it's not just raining. It's not raining cats and dogs. It's like a monsoon flood on top of this like rooftop. It's just like rah, 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 rah. he's like, "It's a shame she won't live." I guess you're through, huh?
0: finished
3: it's too bad she won't live but then again who does
0: yeah right <laughs> doves can't fly in that kind of rain dove is not getting any sort of like lift or leverage it's like it's just gonna like
2: end up swimming in a puddle on the roof
1: <laughs> the ending is like Maybe it's just, like, a tad confusing, because, like, he Ooh. goes to see Rachel, and you think that she's dead, and then he, like, kisses her, and she's, like, alive, but I'm, I'm a little confused. Josh, it seems like you have some insight into this.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, like, the way that Edward James almost words it, Deckard rushes home because you think she's been killed. We've already proven that she's a replicant, so we know that a Blade Runner's job is to retire replicants so he rolls in he's like oh my God, she's dead right pulls back the sheet she's like oh i was just lustfully slumbering and he's like okay we gotta go and she puts on like the big old feather coat with her gnarly like ready rat hair It's like wow right
0: yeah, yeah good thing they, they go in disguise hey
2: yeah and he rushes her out and as he like kind of swoops her into the the lift he looks over, and this is this is the ultimate moment of WTH. It's clear that Edward James Almost has been there. Cause the one thing that we haven't been mentioning through the whole movie is Edward James Almost does all this crazy origami and he just leaves it in different places. And we keep seeing that. Like there'll be a scene where he's just chilling in the background. Like there's a scene where he's made he makes a, a little frog. And there's another scene where he makes a, a little matchstick man. And stands him up. So he's always doing origami and all this weird stuff. And then fast forward to the end scene where Deckard's running out and he's trying to trying to save Rachel and he looks over
0: and there's a little origami unicorn. Right, yep. which makes me think replicant. Yeah. So Do you think Edward
1: James almost is a replicant or you think Harrison Ford's a replicant? Har- Harrison Ford. I think
2: I think Edward James almost knows that Harrison Ford is a replicant, but Harrison Ford does not know he's a replicant.
1: So, yes, so he picks up the the unicorn, but then he hears and he's remembering what Edward James almost says. And he says, but who really does? And he's talking about living. And that's kind of where the credits
2: roll. So you're left with the question, is Deckard a replicant?
0: Yeah, leaves you the watcher to decide for yourself.
2: Now this has been discuss- This has been debated at length because movie versus book versus movie versus book versus new movie. Finally, right? And in all the books, Deckard is not. He is not a replica.
1: Deckard is not a replicate in the books, but they're no. alluding to it in the movie. So I'm not. I don't know because I tend to be a purist and I like to stick to the book, but I also love movies. Hence the podcast.
2: So fan theory. Taking all the information I know and understand, my fan theory is that all Blade Runners are replicants. Oh,
0: alright.
1: Oh, I like and that's, it. That's
2: why they have the job. That's why they're given the license to kill that they have. And that's why they're so
0: good at picking out replicants. Nice. I like, yeah. I like
2: fan
1: theory. What What is your rating, Joel?
0: I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5 choked doves
1: good jo- josh what's your rating
2: i'm gonna go four and a half weird creepy ass clowns out of five
1: and i'm gonna do four origami unicorns out of five.
2: <laughs> oh, all right thanks all for tuning in uh this has been fantastic uh we've talked about blade runner what do we got on on board for uh for next week guys willow yeah all right thanks for listening everyone